Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by writer and director Lee Cronin, the man behind the 90 minute long The Hole in the Ground and the brand new film Evil Dead Rise, which is in cinemas right now. Welcome, Lee. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here and to have a conversation with you today. It's a thrill to have you on the show, uh, Lee. The Evil Dead films are sort of our sort of spiritual through line. We've now covered all of Sam Raimi's original trilogy because the whole trilogy, um, each film in the trilogy even, is under 90 minutes. So they've, they've sort of come up um, you know, throughout our, our tenure on the, on the podcast. And you yourself uh, have made many short films under 90 minutes long. Your first feature was 90 minutes long. And in fact, Evil Dead Rise is only slightly over 90 minutes long. It is. I, bro- I, I broke the code. It did go slightly over. So I think I think our runtime without end credits is like 91.50. I have it sitting sitting on my laptop here somewhere, but it's like I think it's I think it's 91.50 and 22 frames, something along that that line. Um. So, yeah, just about broke the code. Ah, oh, you know, it, ha- it had to happen eventually. They've, they've each creeped up a couple of minutes, I think, yeah, and now exactly. we, we've crossed the precipice. Uh, but uh, but yeah, what what a project to be involved in. I was just wondering, actually, as a as a filmmaker, because you're a writer as well as director, at what point for you do you start thinking about how long the finished film may be? Like, is that something that you plan early doors, or is it very much in the edit? You're shaving bits off, and it may or may not, you know, end up being an under ninety minute movie. It's a it's a, actually a really good question that nobody's ever asked me before i do think about the length when i am writing in the sense that there is that old you know that that old thing of you know a page a minute but actually with an evil dead movie you could have uh three lines on a page that could be actually a very involved stunt that sustains longer on screen so i think with this movie i'm trying to remember what the shooting script was i feel like it was in and around 98 or 99 pages i just knew i wanted it to be under 100 minutes i knew that much i I, and i knew going in for a movie like this it needed to be under 100 and some of the early cuts were close to 100 and it kind of went up and down and up and down but the but the best cut of the movie was the one that was was closest to to 90 but i try and actually in the edit pay less attention to the runtime and more just actually feel the pace of the movie because you can also start to overcut and actually make something too fast and because you're you're trying to be a slave to what you think is an appropriate time i always say these things time themselves in the end if if you're doing a good job and working with a good team um and working with a great editor they ultimately time themselves they show they show themselves through the process of whittling away you're right to go with your gut as well because it gets to a point where you know it's the magic trick of cinema is you could trick an audience into something flying by in the blink of an eye if it's a great movie but it could be four hours long you know or or likewise you can have a very long 80 minute film if it's not done very well it's all about internal pace you know it really is like i've watched some 75 minute horror movies that i felt like i was losing 
entire swathes of my life or I'll watch The Wolf of Wall Street and wish it was another three hours long. So, you know, it it it's, it is all relative to the internal pace of the movie, the storytelling, the interest, the intrigue, all of those things play a part. Absolutely. The Evil Dead is a film that we have covered uh, a few times on the podcast. We've done Army of Darkness, Evil Dead 2, and we've recently just released an episode on The Evil Dead. Finally, we did the first one. But what was it like for you when, when this project came your way? Because you wrote the screenplay as well as directed the film, and that must be i mean that feels like to me being given the the keys to a candy shop you know yeah like that's a good way of looking at it i did feel that way i i I, I remember in it might have been my second or third meeting i had with sam raimi he kind of said as much he was like look you know kind of take the keys and run because they had earned or i had earned their trust in terms of what it was i was trying to do with the world and it was kind of they were looking for something fresh and i was insistent that it had to be something fresh and different whilst maintaining all of the DNA and the things that fans love about the movies, because I'm also a fan. I didn't want to change what an Evil Dead movie is. I just wanted to recontextualize it. But the fun part was once I nailed the story and the characters in that world was that very, very thing of being like, there's this wonderful, brutal toolbox full of bloody ideas that I can dip in and add to and stick things together and recreate them in different ways. And that was definitely a, a writing joy I hadn't necessarily had before. Was was layering in all of the um, the horrific elements that make an Evil Dead movie so special. When people see that name Evil Dead on a on a film or a TV show, they expect a certain level of gore and excitement. So it must be fun knowing that you know actually I can go you know naught to sixty. I can do uh, I can I can really sort of like push this because it's what the fans will want. Yeah, it was and it was so important to me, dude. Like I remember early on in the process of, of writing the movie, which I wrote on my bed during the first wave of COVID, locked in my apartment, just sitting on my bed. I don't know why it felt like the right place to write it. I, I could have sat somewhere else, but I kind of damaged my back, hunched over, writing this beast down. Um, And I, I just remember knowing that energy was so important because across all of the movies, that's the thing I love the most. As they shift and change tonally, there's an energy and a kind of unhinged wildness to them all that you, as if you just can't quite keep up with what's happening. It's always one bizarre step ahead of you. So that was even more than how scary the movie was going to be. The the energy and the entertainment factor and the the roller coaster nature that was so so important to me. That was key, really really key. Because I knew if I didn't get that right, nothing else would matter. It's one thing to write these things down, but to actually realize it, like, what's it like, you know, going onto set and, and seeing some of these things that you've put in the screenplay, you know, there physically? Because the film's got a lot of physical gore and, and violence in and, and it, it works so well on the big screen. It's it's and thank you for that. I appreciate that. Like, it's it's exciting and terrifying in equal measure because you want to get it right. And there's certain things that you when you shoot, you know, you've got the ingredients, but you don't know if it's going to be right until you start to actually piece it together in the edit suite and we'd quite a long shoot in the movie so i could go and analyze things that we were doing you know a week or so after i shot with my editor we could go and take a look you know at the weekend and see how it was coming together but it's quite a lot of quite a lot of fun to do but also the film is in, in, in it was really important to me that that we so many stunts in the movie so many effects but that it was as practical as it possibly could because that is also in the DNA that is also a pillar of the franchise to date and I wanted to like take that and run with it as far as I could and when you're using practical effects for big stunts or even sometimes just little teeny little moments that are you know visceral or violent or screwed up in some way like there's no there's no one-size-fits-all solution at, at times every shot in the movie was like a brand new um experiment for how we would achieve it even within a single scene 
where somebody gets stabbed. It's like, but the next angle I want for this scene, we've got to try something we haven't done before. So there was a lot of research and development along the way, a lot of things not working, and then you work on them to get it right and learning. But but all in all, it's, you know, when for me, I, when I knew it would work would be when I'd laugh my ass off behind my monitor. And it was a combination of enjoying the madness that I was seeing, but also relief that we had achieved what we'd set out to achieve. I think with some of those stunts, I imagine it's a bit like pulling off a magic trick. You know, when it when you see it happen, you're like, yes, we did. <laughs> it, look, totally. I, I, like, I remember um, there's, there's a particular vomit event in the movie, for want of a better description, that we had to go back and reshoot. And nobody could quite get why, because they were like, hey, it works. And I was like, no, but the vomit is not moving across the floor in the aggressive manner that I want the vomit to move. So we had to go and redesign the vomit ramp, or what was it called? Was it called the puke ramp? I can't remember. This, no, the spew ramp. Um, <laughs> so that we could get a faster flow of this vomit across the floor. Um, and you know, you as a filmmaker, you trust your instinct and you know when you know. I'm sure audiences across the globe will appreciate the uh, the spew ramp. <laughs> I, hope, I hope they appreciate the effort we went to make the vomit the way it is. Now the the film is out. You've had um, you know, at the time of recording, you've had various premieres and festival screenings. What's it like to, I guess, take a step back and know the film is out there and see how audiences are engaging with it? Look, it's it's a real pleasure. I you, you know I work for the audience. That's the sort of filmmaker that I am. I'm commercially minded. Um, when I work on a screenplay or I work in a room with somebody from my crew, the word I use most is audience because I want to make big screen movies. You know, I want people to go to the cinema. I want people to sit down in a dark room and have a collective experience. And without thinking about the audience, I can't achieve that. You know, they're, you know, they're the most important thing. I am making movies for me because I enjoy the process, but I'm making movies for people so that they can enjoy the spectacle. You know, I want to scare people, but I want to entertain people. And I think that's the thing about this movie. If someone hasn't seen it and they're thinking about checking it out, why they should do it is, yes, it's scary, but it's also a hell of a lot of fun. It is close to 90 minutes <laughs> but it is 90 minutes of of um of a roller coaster and who doesn't want to go on a roller coaster and you can't get on a roller coaster without trepidation or fear so you're gonna have to carry a little bit of that into the room let me grab you by the hand and drag you through something quite insane for listeners about to go and see this at the cinema just get yourself to the picture house get yourself to the sort of theater and lee will do the rest you know once you're in exactly. your seat you're on lee's roller coaster <laughs> we will look after you and you will not leave bored, you will leave satisfied. You may be shaking a little bit, but you won't regret it. And you would have seen some excellent vomit. Let's just absolutely let's just that. <laughs> one, one of many liquids in the movie. So, Lee, for our, our podcast today, we've, we've talked a little about running times, but I also sent you some homework um, to pick a film to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. We've already got all of the, the sort of eligible Evil Dead films in, so you cannot pick one of those. But um, but how did you how did you react and uh, what did you pick for us today? I'm, I'm going to be blazingly honest. I wasn't very happy having homework to do at the moment because I'm so I'm so busy working and promoting the movie. But nonetheless, I'm a film fan. Um, so it is always a pleasure to actually look and uh, and and have a think and look i love movies of all lengths i'm not one of those people that goes you know sometimes people are like oh, oh i can't believe someone's made a movie that's three hours long i'm like i'll judge it on its merits if it's a great three hours amazing if it's a boring three hours you know well then it's not a movie i'm going to want to watch again but i do love a nice 85 to 90 minute movie um and i love the contained narrative of movies as well like i love watching tv but i love going into a closed narrative I'm being told in the next 90 minutes or next hour and a half, 
we're going to tell you a full, complete story. Um, so I, in, in kind of doing my bit of research for what I wanted to talk about, um, and I had a movie in mind. I, I actually, I, I, I had three movies in mind. One was This Spinal Tap, which I think you've done. And then I thought about Planes, Trains and Automobiles, which is actually 93 minutes long. And I didn't realize that until this, but was very happy to be able to bring The Wicker Man to the table. The Wicker Man, 1973. When a young girl mysteriously disappears, Police Sergeant Howie travels to a remote island to investigate. But this pastoral community, led by the strange Lord Summerisle, is not what it seems, as a devout Christian detective soon uncovers a secret society of wanton lust and pagan blasphemy. Can Howie now stop the cult's ultimate sacrifice before he himself comes face to face with the horror of the Wicker Man? That is a movie that had a massive impact on me at a later occasion in my life. There's a bunch of horror that informed and educated me and um, and, and grew my inspiration from a young, really young age. But I actually didn't see the Wicker Man until maybe my mid-twenties. And I watched it. And then the very next day, got my friend and said, have you seen The Wicker Man? He said, no, OK, come around, let's watch it right now. Um, and because it's short, you can watch it multiple times. And I think I watched it four times in like two weeks at that at that point in time. Um, and it's a truly standout piece of folk horror, arguably the greatest British horror film of all time. And for me, is actually right up there in terms of overall horror cinema history as a really unique spectacular and special movie 100% uh, agree with you there it's really um captivating this film and sort of casts you under its spell uh, to not be sort of too flowery in my language but I, I think once it once you've seen it it gets under your skin and you can't forget seeing it you cannot unsee the wicker man <laughs> it, it sure is like I actually know that the friend of mine who I showed it to the next day after I first saw it is coming to the European premiere of my movie this evening and of, of Evil Dead Rise and he looks a little bit like one of the, the the people from the island at the end when they're doing their arm swaying and singing right at the end of the film and all it takes for me to say the wicker man he will just start to do that dance and my blood will chill um so you're right it's a really sticky movie there's so many visuals and sounds and music and different things in it that stick in your you know like just stick in your mind like you know there will be no traces who would have thought those few words together would be such a horrific, horrific thing. And it's all about context. What I adore about the movie is, and it's, I've always want, I've, I've often thought about trying to find an idea like this, not trying to emulate the Wicker Man in any way, but just the context of a single character and everybody else is lying to them is a really, really powerful tool because it's the ultimate conflict, right? Is when what's been spoken about is mistruth, which conflict drives drama so fantastically. And it's his awareness, you know, like it's the awareness that he is being lied to in this story um, that keeps him going. Or not even, it's awareness that something's not quite right and who's lying and who's telling the truth. But in the end, it's like, you've been screwed since the moment you got on that plane that morning, you know? And, 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 and that to me is the powerful thing that always brings me back to the movie, the thing that I love the most. And the thing as a filmmaker that makes me a bit jealous, you know, like it's like I want that. I want to tell a story as pure as that. It's a really bold piece of storytelling, like you say. Like, I love that first scene where he, there's like five or six guys who watch him land the plane and won't send him the dinghy to get onto mainland. And then he go, he asks them all the same questions and they all just blatantly lie to his face. They just <laughs> lie. 
And then he goes into the village store and they just lie, you know, and 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 so it continues. And I love the fact that his first encounter is actually disarming. It's with these more like, you know, these kind of elderly fishermen style kind of dudes, these like, you know, ru rugged and rural. And you expect them, yes, to be a little offbeat, but also in ultimately to be harmless. But actually they're setting him up for his death, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is which is something pretty wild, you know, and I think I think. I love the way that continues through the movie. Um, and I remember the first time I watched it, thankfully I knew nothing about it bar the classic image of Christopher Lee with his arms spread wide in front of the Wicker Man. Um, and that's all I knew, which is amazing to think I'd got through 20 odd years of my life as a horror movie fan, but not had it spoilt on me. Um, and one of the amazing things about the film is the way, and it's hard, it's, 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 it's you don't see it this well done all the time. Like, the hook that they put you on and lead you and lead and lead like how are you along on works. You never question and go, well, shouldn't he do this? And what about that? And, you know, should, should he not go over here? And he does try to leave and his plane doesn't work. But when he goes back, you're not thinking, you're not thinking he's going to lose because he seems like a man very in control. But again, that's the terrifying thing. He's had zero control since the moment he landed on the you know on the water outside that island he's really vulnerable in that situation but because he doesn't act like that he's got his policeman's uniform on he believes that being a policeman makes him you know absolutely you're rock solid safe um yeah. he he never really shows any sort of sign of worry and i'm watching it thinking dude why didn't you bring a partner why are you doing this on your own these guys are crazy but he yeah. doesn't see the world like that he is always right and i think that that serious performance from edward woodward really really helps us as the audience to sell the concept it sells to horror because he is so straight laced and yeah doesn't react like us the audience who are starting to get a little bit creeped out by the situation yeah like i love i love the scene when he finally gets up to summer isle's house and it's it's him and christopher lee and just th that contrast between as you said that straight laced nature of him and his anger is starting to boil over at that point in time and christopher lee is just so relaxed you know just that little moment where he plays a little a little couple of notes from the fire leap song on his piano, he's so relaxed and so in control of the situation, um, and and it's just it's such a beautiful contrast. And it's like it's almost like, you know, it's like it's nearly like building up to meeting the big bad in a level in a game. You know, you finally got to you finally got to the castle, and and here it is. And that person doesn't even need to fight. They're not even going to try and jump around and stamp on your head because they've already got you. Yeah, he just acts like his best friend when he finally gets there. And I love how throughout the whole film everybody says you cannot do this because of lord summer isle you'll need to get lord summer isle's permission no yeah. i'm a policeman i can do it and he just keeps like barraging through but um but yeah it's such a great i mean that that scene where they finally seeing edward woodward and christopher lee together you know in this gnarly folk horror you know that is like that is an iconic moment of cinema it's incredible and i kind of love the way that they they really only get to engage twice in the movie you know that kind of way it's like in that scene and then on the the kind of cliffside hillside at, at, at the end christopher lee presents himself summer Isle presents as this kind of debonair liberal but in control person but then we see him cross-dress and, and dance like a loon um like right thereafter and that's also terrifying because you're like wow anything is possible now anything is possible good afternoon sergeant howie i trust the sight of the young people refreshes you no, sir. It does not refresh me. Oh, sorry. One should always be open to the regenerative influences. I understand you're looking for a missing girl. I found her. Splendid. In her grave. 
Your Lordship, there's a Justice of the Peace. I need your permission to exhume her body, have it transported to the mainland for a pathologist's report. You suspect uh, foul play? I suspect murder and conspiracy to murder. In that case, you must go ahead. Your Lordship seems strangely unconcerned. I'm confident your suspicions are wrong, Sergeant. We don't commit murder up here. We're a deeply religious people. I think it's unusual to see uh, a horror film with as sort of like chirpy a soundtrack <laughs> as to Wicker Man, the, the folk songs they use, these traditional sounding folk songs, which are all kind of weird and they're, they're, they're sort of loaded with meaning and, and, and some of them are a bit more on the nose than others. But but I, I love that that soundtrack. It, 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 that's the, the other thing that sort of, I guess, adds to just how weird the whole experience is. Totally. And I think it's like, let's not just call it a soundtrack. I think you need to look at the movie and also call it a musical. And I'm not, musicals are not necessarily my go-to. Like, it's not my first port of call. But that was another thing when I first watched the movie and continue to feel when I, whenever I rewatch the movie is the musicality of it. And, the, you know, like the, um, the I'm trying to remember the name of the song right now, I'm blanking, but the one around the maypole, that's like a musical interlude. Like they go to that before Howie even shows up in that scene. Um, and the Wicker Man, I always love putting on, Wicker Man is one of my favorite soundtracks to put on. If I've had a late night with friends and we've ended up back, in, back at my place, and uh, it's like, I think I need to clear everybody out and go home. You know, you've been listening to the, the the usual suspects in terms of the sort of stuff you listen to at three in the morning when you should have gone to bed. Get the Wicker Man soundtrack on and people start to get feel or start to feel a little weird and head home. But I, I, I actually adore the music in it. I really adore the music in it and would listen to it for pleasure. I think it's 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 so good. It's so wrapped up in the world of the movie in its own way. Um. And it's so memorable. And despite it all being this this folky thing, each song has its own kind of tone and identity, which I really like. It's 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 you can listen to that soundtrack, and it's like a story in its in its own way. It has a journey. Absolutely. And and Howie just doesn't get on board with the music at all. Like the people no. singing, dancing around him. Every time it happens, you know, he is so like a fish out of water. He just needs to shut it down. Like you see it in the pub at the beginning, where he just starts yeah. like slamming on the on the bar with the with the ashtray. <laughs> yeah, I think I think all all he wants is a you know, a pious hymn being sung in an in an, an empty cathedral. But the kind of, that's the interesting thing about this movie is like, would I like to live on that island? I'm like, seems like it's kind of a good time. It's just a shame. It's just a shame that you've got to kill somebody innocent in order to maintain your beliefs. Yeah, I think if you're if you're if you're into it, you know, the, the parade that all looks fun. Like I love yeah. that sequence where they all dress up and Howie's undercover as as uh, the Joker, the Punch uh, character. Um, that looks like a good time. It does. Yeah, it's like it's it's you know it's it's the yearly festival that they have. But it's um, I also love there's that whole sequence in the build up has a few really unique things that break the the style of the movie but but i kind of adore them so when he's, he's kind of manically going around and searching house to house at that point for for rowan and um it kind of also has this almost documentary feel where it's cutting to people preparing and there's even just a bit where even a character he takes out like this i think it's called john barleycorn he takes out this big bread man that he's made but almost presents it to camera as if there's a documentary crew on the island it's got a really strange thing but there's something and it's actually again it's got this great kind of almost ever so slightly prog rock guitar riff going alongside it at the time i love that sequence in the movie it's one of my favorite parts where this this mania of him trying to you know get around the place and then at the same time everybody's just like preparing for christmas you know little do we know that christmas is burning somebody alive um so yeah it's 
gets pretty wild. Is there a sort of one standout scene or, or maybe it was one you just mentioned that, you know, that, that sticks with you uh, when you think about this film? I think it's hard for it to not be the ending of the movie because it's so devastating in a lot of ways. I think it truly is such a devastating scene. Um, and, and also I do love the, I do love when he first um, arrives in the local tavern. That whole sequence is great with the landlord landlord's daughter song is, is kind of spectacular. And the school scene I really like as well. There's such an oddness that the kids are so sinister, you know, like it's just it's it's really odd. But, but bringing it all back around to the end, because what's interesting is for all of Summer Isle's coolness as such um, and his re- his relaxed nature and his cross-dressing and dancing, when it comes to that moment, he loses all of that color out of his voice when he kind of, as I said, things like there would be no traces um, or shows you know you know just announces they will not fail again because how he does do something very smart which is to try and put him under pressure in front of the entire community and there is that little bit of humanity in summer isle where he actually is fearful for what what is being said so he presents himself with a really cold confidence that any messiah-like figure would try and do i suppose um, and I think that moment and that song and the joy on some of the faces as they dance to a man screaming and suffering. Yeah, it makes me feel uncomfortable even thinking about it right now. Thank you so much, Lee, for, for picking The Wicker Man to be in our 90 Minutes or Less film first. What we do like to ask every guest on the podcast is if, if our festival ever happened and we could put The Wicker Man on in a cinema, have you got a, a preferred venue you'd like to, to screen this movie? Oh, wow, that's a really, really good question. I wish I'd been prepared for that one and kind of thought about it. I, 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 I'm, okay, I'm, I'm going to basically build my own DeLorean and go back in time. And there is an incredible cinema in Dublin called the Savoy, which is on the main street on O'Connell Street. But as the way the world has been with cinemas, it's been hacked up into a bunch of plastic uh, molded um, multiplex kind of vibes. And I'd love to go back in time to even long before I was born. But apparently the original Savoy cinema in Dublin back in like the 1920s, 1930s, I think sat like two and a half thousand people. And on a Saturday night, it was still a battle to get a ticket and get in. I'd love to see The Wicker Man in a room like that even though the movie was made when it was made. So I'm really messing with timelines now. But I'd like to, me from now, be able to take The Wicker Man back to the 1920s or 30s and watch it with a crowd of two or 3,000 people. Sounds amazing. So on the DeLorean, we'll start in 2023. We'll go back to 1973, (laughs) pick up a print, a pristine 35 mil print. We'll go back to the 20s and we'll put it on. Exactly. (laughs) That will blow people's minds. Simple. I think that's the plot for my next movie. Um, (laughs) But uh, look, lovely to talk to you, and 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 thanks for the questions. And uh, it was it's always fun to talk about the Wicker Man. So uh, I'm I'm so glad Nona picked it before now. I'll say thank you for adding it finally to our lineup. The Wicker Man is in the festival, and uh, Evil Dead Rise is in cinemas right now. Really excited to see what you do next, Lee. Uh, where can people stay up to date with what you're uh, you're doing on social media? I'm I'm on Twitter, um, and also on Instagram. And very simply, it's my name, Lee Cronin, but with C U or before it, as in Curly Cronin. So see you or Lee Cronin, because I've curly hair and had no better idea at the time. And yeah, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram. And I do like to keep people abreast of what's going on in the world of work. I don't don't share politics nor opinions, but I do share um, what's going on with my my movie world. There was lots of good um, gory behind the scene, Evil Dead, uh, usually blood covered items, which was very and exciting. There, and, and, and there will be more as the movie seeps into the culture and we can spoil more and more. I look forward to sharing 
more behind the scenes and things like that as we move forward in time oh that's fab well thank you so much lee um best of luck with evil dead rise listeners do go see it on the biggest screen possible and uh, we'll speak to you soon thank you so much thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice you can rate and review us on apple podcasts and spotify or if you've got a mo share an episode with your friends every recommendation helps you can contact us on our website 90minfilmfest.com and on twitter and instagram at 90minfilmfest the podcast is produced by me sam clements and louise owen it's edited by louise owen with sound mixing and additional editing by luke smith our music is by martin ostwick and our artwork is by sam gilby we'll be back in a couple of weeks We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. And on that bed there was a girl, and on that girl there was a man, and from that man there was a seed, and from that seed there was a boy, and from that boy there was a man, and from that man there was a grave, and from that grave there grew a tree.